The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, that last hymn, I can never sing that hymn without thinking about how that hymn came about. It's just so striking. You know, it's it, there, it's on Lake Erie by Cleveland, where it can get really stormy, and there's a lighthouse, and then there's the rock jetty that goes out into Lake Erie. And what happened was that there was the one night when there was a terrible storm out there, and there was the lighthouse master, and he had his assistant there, and, and it was a terrible storm that night, and the responsibility to the assistant was that he was the one who had to go down in the dark, in the rain, along the rock jetty, and light, light, light the, each of the lower lights that guided the boats into the safety of the harbor. And so what happened was that it was storming out one night, this one night I said, and so the assistant said to the master, the lighthouse master, shall I go down and light the lower lights? The master of the lighthouse says, no, it's not worth it. It's too much trouble. It's all stormy. Don't bother. Don't go out there and get yourself all wet and everything. Nobody's out there. But there was. And there was a boat out there, and on the boat, which they didn't know about, and they were coming in, and the, and the assistant to the captain was asking, was asking the captain, how will we know when we get the, to the lighthouse that we don't crash into the rocks of the jetty? He said, the lower lights will be burning. Lower lights will be burning. Look for the lower lights. They're going to be burning. And so they approached out there, the lower lights weren't burning, and they crashed into the rocks. It was a terrible tragedy, and people lost their lives. That's the power behind that hymn. When you read that, the writer of that hymn was traveling on a, on a train when he read that in the newspaper, and he wrote that song on the train. Let the lower lights be burning. Some, some poor seaman you may rescue, you may save. Responsibility. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the blood. The blood tonight, Lord, is our focus. It's the blood of your son. Lord Jesus, it's your blood. And we want you now to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are. And the key text for us again, if you turn please, is Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. Exodus 24, verse 3. Momentous time in Israel's history at the base there of, of Mount Sinai. Where we read, Moses came 
told the people all the words of the Lord, all the judgments. All the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said will we do. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, rose up early in the morning, built an altar under the hill, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, read it in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So we've seen here that as I said, Moses gathered all the people there at the base at the foot of Mount Sinai and he proclaims to them, this is what God wants you to do. And they twice shout out, all that the Lord says, we will do it, we'll be obedient. And after that vow, then Moses takes the blood from these ox that were oxen that were killed there, and he, he sprinkles the altar of sacrifice, and then he goes over and sprinkles the people with the blood. And that's the time when he said in verse eight, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you. And so it's been these words, the behold the blood of the covenant, that's been our focus as we've sought to explore what is that blood? What is the meaning of that blood? What is that blood really all about? Now, we saw that the blood spoke of the coming deliverer, as far as Moses was concerned. That was the deliverer who would have the bloody heel as he would crush the head of the serpent. He would get a bloody heel. That bloody heel of the serpent crusher is the bloody heel. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been exploring how the blood of the Lord Jesus has a special meaning for us. Now, now, for some, the blood is just nothing more than just a cold, sterile doctrine, no personal meaning, but that's not true for us. For us, the blood is precious. The blood of the Lord Jesus has a very deep, special meaning. It's about this blood that we can really say the issue is to us. It's to us. Because the blood to us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ has great meaning. That's what we could really call it, the to us blood. The to us blood, because it has such meaning. This is what the whole Last Supper, the Passover, that's commonly called the Last Supper, it's what it's all about. What it's all about was a to us Last Supper. When he brought his apostles together, he took them into a private room. It was a very intimate time. He separated himself from everyone else, all the crowds, all the scribes, all the Pharisees, all the multitudes, and it was just his private little group and there in this Last Supper, as he goes to it, he says something in Luke twenty-two fifteen. Luke twenty-two fifteen, where he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, it wasn't because he was hungry, but because with a great desire, he wanted to explain the special meaning of his shed blood, which he did after the supper was over, took this cup, and he momentously in, in Luke 22, 20, Luke 22, 20, it says, Last, likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Just imagine. He's got a cup in his hand, the cup of wine. He's holding it like this as he's saying, this is the cup of the New Testament. That's just that. And he says, which is my blood shed for you. He's got his hand like this. 
Is it going to be less than 24 hours? He's going to have his hand like this on a cross. And there he's going to say, I told you, here's the blood of the New Testament. So he's holding out his hand right there. And that's why it's so important, the communion, the communion time, because it's a restatement of this special meaning of the Lord's table. Now, the word testament, which is used in the Bible, the word testament is the same as the word covenant. Covenant, testament, covenant, testament. It's the same. So really what he was saying is, this is the cup of the new of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And when he said that, immediately, everybody's mind goes back to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, we're studying here when the people were all together there at the foot of Mount Sinai. And when he said that, this is the blood of the new covenant, they, that was an aha moment. Because that was when they said, aha. So that's what Moses was talking about when he sprinkled all the people in Exodus 24, 8 and said, behold the blood of the covenant. So when the Lord Jesus says that, behold the blood of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you, then all that Moses said became crystal clear, just like that. The blood of the covenant that Moses spoke about was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us. To the world, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means nothing more than he died on a cross and he shed his blood, as everybody sheds their blood when they die on a cross. But to us, no, 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 much, much more personal meaning. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been hearing the words of Moses as he says, behold the blood of the covenant. We've been exploring, we've been looking, we've been delving into what does this mean for us personally, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen, first of all, that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is really good news for us. It's great news. It's great news. Why? Because it accomplished, it met the need of our greatest need. When God said that in Hosea, I mean in Job, in Job 33, 24, Job 33, 24, God was speaking. He said, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. In other words, unless there was a ransom found, you can't deliver that person from going to the pit of hell. No ransom, no deliverance from the pit of hell. But God's so happy when he said that in Job 33, 24. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I found a ransom. And that's really good news for us. That's great news for us. Now, we've seen how the blood also was the purchase money. It was what was used. It was what was used to purchase our souls, to buy us back. Because everyone that commits sin is the servant of sin. He's the slave of sin. He's the bond person of sin. And he's got to be bought back. That's called redemption. That's called redemption. And we are told in 1 Peter 1.18, 1 Peter 1.18, that we are redeemed with precious blood with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without, blood, without blemish and without spot. So to us, that blood is behold the blood of good news. It's behold the blood of our redemption. Now, then we saw how desperately we just needed to have our sins covered. Just cover them. That's what Adam and Eve knew as soon as after they fell. Just cover the shame. Cover the sins because it's so shameful, and nothing could cover our sins except the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the whole meaning behind Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11, where God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement. The word atonement means covering. To make a covering for your souls. It's the blood that makes a covering. 
It's the blood that makes an atonement for our souls. So for us, the blood of the Lord Jesus is, behold, the blood of the covering, the covering of our sins. Now, one of the most terrible things that happens, that has happened as a result of sin, is this distancing that it causes from God. Every time any person says, says something they shouldn't have said, sin, thinks something they shouldn't have thought, sin, or does something, sin, it just creates, it just widens the gap. It creates this greater and greater distance between the person and God. It's this distance, and the question of the great crisis is, how do you, get, how do you fix that? How do you bring back together again? After all this sin has created the great distance, what brings back man and God together? And this is where it's so important when it says in Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 13, 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that brings back together. It brings near. So for us, the blood of the Lord Jesus is Behold the blood that brings us near to God. Now, another terrible consequence of sin is what it does for us internally, internally, because I've been speaking about external things, but internally what it does is it makes us really dirty inside. It makes us filthy. It makes us like, it makes, it makes us like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Just terrible. And, and, and the problem is, is that all that is bubbling out of our hearts. And that's what the Lord Jesus said, in Matthew 15, 19, keep in mind that the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. It's the thought that's sin. Acts also, words also, but the thought is sin. So when the Lord Jesus spoke about this, he said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. What kind of evil thoughts? Evil thoughts of murder, evil thoughts of adultery, evil thoughts of fornication, evil thoughts of stealing, evil thoughts of lying, evil thoughts of blasphemy. These are the things which defile a man. So we so desperately needed a way. Where's the soap? Where's the OxyClean that can clean us from the inside? It only exists in the blood of the Lord Jesus from 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1.7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So for us, it's behold the blood that cleanses. Now, another terrible consequence of sin is that it robs us of peace. It makes, it disturbs us internally. It makes us get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. It, 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 it makes us like what the Bible calls the troubled sea in Isaiah 57.20. Isaiah 57.20 says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But this all changed. This all changed, and that problem was fixed by the blood. Because Colossians 1.20, Colossians 1.20 says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. So for us, it's behold the blood that makes peace with God. So now we continue now to see more of what the blood does. Now, our sins not just left us with the, with the need to be redeemed, which the blood did do for us, the blood accomplished. Our sins not just left us with the need to be brought near to God, which the blood did. Our sins not just left us with the need to be cleansed, which the blood of the Lord Jesus did. It not just left us with troubled heart, but the blood of the Lord Jesus brought the peace of God. 
the need for to be the peace of God. It did that. But our sins left us with a crying need for our sins to be removed, removed or expunged from the record. Now, the reason we needed to have that is because each person, every person is heading for a critical day, a day that's described in the Bible in Acts 17.31 as an appointed day. Acts 17.31 says, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the day from the dead. See, that day is a day that every person is going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants there to be no mistake about it. God wants to be no doubt about it. So he gave a special assurance. And the special assurance that he gave, so that everybody will know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only judge who will judge all men. The special assurance he gave is the resurrection. Now, in, in Jerusalem, the empty tomb is one of the most visited tourist sites that there is in Israel. And, 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 uh, and our friend uh, Caesar Flytus, he's one of the tour directors there, and he gives those tours, and he writes all the time about the, all the different groups from all over the world and different languages that come to see the empty tomb. Now, the empty tomb has several messages. It has a message of victory over death. It has a message of the power of the Lord Jesus. But there's one message that the empty tomb speaks of, and that message is the fact that the Lord Jesus will judge every person. That's the assurance that God gave. So there's this time appointed, this day appointed, just like it says in Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Everybody wants to know, what's gonna happen after death? What's gonna happen after death? You ask a lost person that, he always gives you the same answer. I don't know, and you don't know, and nobody knows, and I hope nobody knows, but he's wrong. Say, because God's made it very clear. God's made it very clear what's gonna happen after death, judgment. Judgment's gonna happen after death. A person closes their eyes in death, the next time they open their eyes will be for judgment. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, Ecclesiastes 12 14, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every secret thought. That's frightening. And action and word is going to be brought into open for judgment. Now, a man has no chance, none of, it, nobody, none of us, no one in the world has any chance of surviving that judgment. The only hope of surviving bringing out in the open all these old secret thoughts and everything is to have all the sins removed, have them removed, have them expunged from the record before the day of judgment. And the fact that the, the, of judgment, the fact of judgment, it makes for every person the absolute necessity to have this removal of sins. Now the Bible, the Bible uses a word for removing sins called remission, remission. And this is the important verse in Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22 says almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no removal, is no removal. Because we are all, when God looks down on us, or when we look at ourselves, I should say, when we look at ourselves, I thought about that, I thought, well, the sad fact is, is that the world is sinful. And it's not possible to stop living in a negative world of sin because the world is sinful. 
But to ignore the fact of sin and, and to not prepare for judgment and not have sins removed, that's a catastrophe, an unnecessary catastrophe. But the statement that the rabbi said there, it shows a very common thinking that sin is a problem of the world. It's the problem of perception. It's a problem of thinking that, well, if there's sin, then it just originated from the faulty society that we live in. All we gotta do is just transform the world, as he said. Change the world, and we'll solve the sin problem. This is the wrong idea that the problem of sin is simply just originated from the world. That's wrong. And society's just going in the wrong direction. All we have to do is, is join the right Democratic Party, and then we'll get it all straightened out. But, but it, and if we can get rid of sin, then we can just change the direction of the world. But the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible doesn't agree with this conclusion that sin comes from the world. Another lie that people have, that people hold to, is that sin comes from dysfunctional families. And the reason people do sinful things is because they don't have a good upbringing. They just weren't raised right. They weren't raised in good families. When they were growing up, they didn't have good role models. That's where the origin of sin comes from, a bad family, bad social development. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. So all we'd have to do to get rid of sin is just change the families, make them wholesome again. Get rid, get rid of sin, change dads to be good dads, change moms to be good moms, and go back to the good old leave it to beaver days. But the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible doesn't agree that the origin of sin comes from the home. And then another deception is when people say, well, sin comes from Hollywood, it comes from the media, all that glorification of murder and war and infidelity and, and hatred, it's all Hollywood. And they're the ones who put all these wrong ideas in our heads. And if we get rid of, if we, do, we can get rid of sin if we just change Hollywood, just have them start making wholesome films again, you know, all with G ratings. But the Bible doesn't agree. Bible doesn't agree with that at all. Now, another exception is where people say, well, sin comes from temptations. That's what it is, it's the temptations. There are so many temptations today. Temptations to take drugs, easy access to drugs all over the place. Temptations from the internet to fall into pornography. Temptations from the pressures, the pressures of life, the stresses, and that's where all sin comes from. That's what the psychologist uh, told my father. My father brought me to the head of psychology at UCLA, and he said to him, he says, uh, it was his friend, he says, tell me what's wrong with my boy, you know? And so the psychologist, like I said, he talked to me, asked me a lot of questions, come back to my father, says, Eddie, you know, my father's name was Eddie Cantor, but he wasn't that Eddie Cantor, but anyway. Eddie, he says, the boy is basically good. He says, Tommy is basically a good boy. That was his and, and uh, but LA is a bad place, you know? And, and so the problem with Tommy is L.A. So you got to send the boy to some place where there's some good, clean air, like Switzerland. Send the boy to Switzerland, and you won't have all these temptations that L.A. has, and the boy will be good. Well, Tommy found plenty of trouble in Switzerland. And the pristine environment of Switzerland was soiled by Tommy. And so this is a common misconception that sin comes from temptations. We just get rid of temptations, change the environment, we get rid of sin. But the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible doesn't agree. Why? Because each one of these wrong explanations takes a view of sin like it's an external problem. It's something external to me. It comes from the society. It comes from the family. It comes from the environment. And when a man gives any of these explanations for the origin of sin, the man's acting like the Teflon man. Nothing sticks. In other words, he doesn't take responsibility. The first Teflon man was Adam. 
You know, Adam went through the whole Teflon man routine with God when God questioned him after the fall in Genesis 3.11, Genesis 3.11, and God said, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat it? And the man makes a full confession. And the man said, okay, I make a full confession. She did it. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. <laughs> 